What a weekend we had, right, Mike? It was interesting. Along came a spider. <laughs> well, it was the first weekend since pre-President's Day back in February that we didn't have a movie gross over $30 million at the box office. But you know what? We keep talking about it. You've always said this. The ups and downs indicate that we're in a normal environment. I think, though, that people, analysts and observers and those in the industry because the pandemic were so skittish, and understandably so, that any time there's a little uh, rocking of the boat or a weekend that isn't a knock it out of the park, people are getting all worried, in my opinion, be confident. Like you talked about, Mike, optimism gave way to confidence. I think confidence not only should be something that we feel, but something that we hang on to, even on the weekends where we don't have a huge opener, or a bunch of movies doing over a certain amount of money. Well, you said it so eloquently over the weekend, and that was, there would be ebbs and flows, and uh, we're going to call this one an ebb. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you said. I love that. I said ebb and flow. You go, this is more of an ebb. And you know what? We'll take the ebb, because we're going to have a flow, I think, this weekend with Indiana Jones opening. But I think it's really amazing that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has just been a knockout of a movie, and I was looking at the uh, international data as well, and this is a movie that's actually earning more in the domestic market than internationally. I think that's because audiences are really enjoying the movie. It's gotten generally great reviews. Let's discuss. When you have movies that perhaps don't get the greatest reviews or perhaps are getting a little long in the tooth, and I'm not going to name them specifically, but they tend to often rely further down the road in their run or on the series, let's say it's a franchise, they rely heavily on the international. That is true. And we've seen that with some recent films. And I just feel like with Spider-Man Across Spider-Verse and of course No Hard Feelings also from Sony, finding a perfect weekend to drop into this marketplace between Elemental and Flash, or Flash and Elemental, however you want to say it for that weekend, and Indiana Jones 5, I think they picked a nice day. So it was a great weekend for Sony. you got to give it up for them. And if you look at, and we talked about it when Spider-Verse opened, if you go back and add in all of the films, you know, whether it's the Tobey Maguire or the Andrew Garfield or the Tom Holland or the Miles Morales, you are now looking at quite a franchise. And I was just looking at where this one's going to end up. So right now it is the seventh best grossing Spider-Man film. By the time it's done, it's probably going to be third or fourth of all the Spider-Man movies. And that's a pretty good showing for this film. And I know everyone had high expectations, but I'm not sure they had those kind of expectations. Oh, you're right, Mike. I was just going to say, I don't think this was on anyone's radar to be that big, that it would have that kind of response. And then to go further and say, well, Mike, would you predict that in its fourth weekend, retake the top spot at the box office? That was unforeseeable, I think. You'd have to have a real spidey sense to have predicted that. Well, I mean, it also goes to show Sony made a great deal when they picked up that Spider-Man franchise so many years ago and have done a very good job of holding on to it. They sure did. But one of the other things I wanted to point out too, Paul, is a lot of people in the media and everything like that kind of took a shot at Elemental last week when basically, you know, it's subpar for Pixar and all of this. And you and I discussed that the ending wasn't written on Elemental and that there was a lot of running room ahead of it. 
And I want to point out that it was off 38% this weekend. A great hold. The best hold for a Pixar film since Up. Amazing. And it's got running room. And does that mean, Mike, that sometimes it's not about the opening weekend? That when we look at that, have that myopic vision of, oh, and pronouncing a movie a bomb literally before the weekend is over, like on Sunday morning, based on the estimates, and everybody gets caught up. We all do. Well, maybe not you and I, but we do sometimes. You can't call it. It's too early. 38% is like nothing that's an amazing hold and remember the other piece of the puzzle is a 38 percent drop when you still had two million dollars from thursday that was added into that so if you factor that out it was even a better hold than that that's right and the fact that okay there's ruby gilman teenage kraken that's opening this week we'll do some business but probably not overtake elemental from that point on elemental until you get to teenage mutant ninja turtles it's wide open in the family spot. Kids are out of school. Parents are looking for something to do on the weekdays as well as the weekends. There is a lot of running room for Elemental. And by the way, Mike, Elemental could have wound up number one this weekend. For a while there, you greatly point out in your weekend commentary, I know some studios in their estimates had them like neck and neck and the who would come in first or second was kind of flipping around, which is kind of interesting that that could happen. And I'm so happy for Spider-Man but it would have been pretty much silenced many of the naysayers had Elemental been number one in its second weekend, which is a rare feat in and of itself. But a 38% drop, I think you take that all day long. Now, some would argue, well, had it opened bigger, that would still be better. But it's not always about those traditional metrics. Every movie has to stand on its own, and it will have a wide open playing field. I mean, there's not a ton of kids' movies. Teenage Kraken will be out there, of course, but... Well, somebody I was talking to this morning basically said, this reminds me a lot of Puss in Boots over Christmas. Yes. And that was, it opened a little soft. Everybody looked at it and went, it's a little soft. And then fast forward to two and a half months later, and it's like, where did that gross come from? <laughs> Do we ever learn, Mike? We always give up on these, not we, but the collected, the royal we... Sometimes give up on these movies, and haven't we learned over 10, 20, 30 years? I remember A Simple Favor, I think it was, was a movie that opened okay. A month later, it's still in the top five or something, or at least top 10. You can't just give up on movies like that. No, and when you look at the playing field, you have to look at the competition, what is out there, what is, especially in the family audience, as we've seen over and over again, parents are looking for something to take their families to. And Elemental is a great film. It's getting strong word of mouth. People are talking about, you know, it's something you should see. And the lack of competition is going to help propel it to a very strong gross when it's all said and done. And you know what? That usually doesn't happen as much in the summer because of the intense competition we saw with The Greatest Showman. That was a movie that was overshadowed by the Star Wars movie at the time. And a month later, six weeks later, Greatest Showman's hanging in there. So... I think we got to look at the long time plan. It's more like a baseball game. There's many innings. Yes. It ain't over in the first quarter. We have to give these films a chance to play. And you brought up another one that I think it ain't over yet. It opens strong and that is no hard feelings. Yeah. $15 million for an R-rated comedy. It's the biggest opening for an R-rated comedy. And I want to put the caveat out there that I'm not counting Cocaine Bear <laughs> and I'm not counting the Jackass movie. I'm talking about that adult comedy. It's the biggest opening for an adult comedy since the game. And you know what? A lot of people have given up on that genre in theaters and not analysts necessarily and not pundits or journalists, but 
studios seem to have, you know, pulled back on those classic raunchy. I mean, I not to be crass, but this is considered, I would believe, a R-rated sex comedy, so to speak. Those are more rare than ever. And I love that Jennifer Lawrence, who is an amazing actor, just Academy Award style type of incredible talent for many years, says, you know what, I'm going to do one of these old school R-rated comedies. And I think that's great. I love that they're doing that and that she is a producer on the film. And we got to give it up for those who are on the both sides of the camera, in front of the camera and also behind the camera, who are taking a bet on these movies. And I'll bet you, Mike, it didn't have a huge budget compared to these other summer films. That is the formula for the R-rated comedy. And the one thing is, and the movie got a B-plus cinema score grade. That's really good for that genre. It's really good, which also means it's going to play. That's the key thing about it, too, is that, again, once you get out of the box, you've got a little bit of running room ahead of you. Now, unlike Elemental, No Hard Feelings does have a little competition coming up, and that is Joyride from Lionsgate, That's which right. is another raunchy R-rated comedy, which is really funny, very female-oriented. It was showcased at CinemaCon. It was shown there. It was. They're opening it on July 6th. That will definitely play into a little bit of what is chasing on No Hard Feelings. Yep. Well, I said the game. I said it actually was game night was the biggest opening but yeah game night when you said the game i thought of the david fincher movie yeah to no, me, that no, was no, a comedy no. it <laughs> was it was game night that was a 17 million dollar opening so it's the biggest opening since then which is 2018 so hats off to our friends at sony for getting this one open and uh, should have some running room ahead of it now we'd be remiss mike and we have to address this is the flash which had a pretty intense drop 72 percent so opening at 55.7 million three-day Remember, with a boost because of a Monday holiday, so we need to keep that in mind. Yep. And also previews baked into the cake, so the 72% drop isn't really weighted, so to speak. But still, to go from a $55 million plus opening to $15 million in its second weekend, that's a rough go. I've just been saying that, you know, every movie wants tailwinds, right? On every level, they want tailwinds. Everything has to be moving in the right direction. This movie, though, I've truly enjoyed it. I think it was just too many headwinds, not to belabor the analogies, but you know, they got it out there. There were a lot of things working, I guess, against the film. And we sometimes see that played out in real time. It's unfortunate, but as we were talking about last week, it truly is kind of the nature of the movie business where there will be these movies that kind of the hype sometimes gets way out in front of it and, you know, does it more disservice than any kind of service. And I think the idea that everybody initially was talking about how great the movie would be or the perception was, I should say, how great the movie was going to do. And then when the movie didn't perform, that immediately puts a cloud of stink on it. Totally did. That probably is completely undeserving, though. Exactly. And then you have people who will talk about the movie in a negative way who have never seen the freaking movie. Well, that's the other thing. That I'm sick of. I am going to get angry here on Ticket to Ride because I am sick and tired of people. And I'll never do that. I, I will never talk negatively about a movie I haven't seen. Now... Technically, you could talk about a movie if you just look at the box office performance from a statistical 
or mathematical point of view saying, oh, well, if it drops 72%, that's a big drop. But for people to, and by people, I mean not everyone, but some, to pick on a movie because that's where the wind is blowing, I don't know. That's just joining the crowd. My favorite is, you know, there are certain people out there, some of them who set lofty expectations and then the movie doesn't hit the lofty expectations and then they take a shot at it didn't hit the lofty expectations that they personally had set. Right. So <laughs> that to me is like, you don't get to do that. Yeah, you can't have it both ways, right? Yeah, either stand by where you were or whatever, but that's a whole different topic for one day. I personally like The Flash, but again, and I love this term, I stole it from you, I steal it from you. We were all on a sugar high at, at CinemaCon, and when I sat there with my colleagues and saw The Flash, I love the movie. I need to watch it again. I think it's getting trashed on more than it doesn't deserve to. If there's, But that's what I'm saying is because of, and I've worked on movies where this happens, and we talked a little bit about it last week. You enter a movie with a certain perception, <laughs> or you enter working on it. Boy, if the movie does X, I'm going to be really happy. And then you start going through the cycle. We do the research screenings. We hit the word of mouth. We start looking at advanced tracking. And before you know it, we've now elevated the bar to something else. And when that happens, then you're out in front of it. Now you are ahead of your skis in a way and you've lost your boundary or your, yeah. your bearing, so to speak. And then as the movie performs closer to where it probably should have been and where it was initially, you know, you're left with that kind of wah-wah feeling, yeah. you know, because <laughs> you let your expectations get ahead of yourself and in some cases, maybe the studio ends up spending more because they feel they have more and right. it becomes a vicious cycle. Well, conversely, there are movies that do really well at the box office and I'm dumbfounded because I've seen the movie and it's awful. <laughs> so, I mean, that does happen, but that doesn't mean I'm not the arbiter of whether a movie is good or not. That's what I was going to say. So the difference between watching a movie and something that has a real finite yes or no answer is movie going is subjective. And a movie I may think is fantastic, you may think is not very good at all and vice versa. Yeah. And that's what makes movie going so unique. I remember years ago getting into an argument with a colleague of mine. We were talking about a movie and he was like, that movie is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. He was basically snapping at another person who said they had liked some film. And I looked at him and I go, you're a movie snob. Yep, movie snob. If that guy likes that movie, right? guess what? That's a good movie for him. I know people in my life who like White Zinfandel, okay? I fucking hate White Zinfandel. <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's bad. That just means it's not for And we're going to use some rare cursing on this episode, which we shall leave in. Oh, you make a great point. It's all subjective at that yeah. point. This isn't mathematics. This isn't like you add it up and this is the answer. This is, we all go into a movie. It touches us all in a different way. We all come out with a different viewpoint expectation on the movie. I had a professor at Long Beach State in my radio, TV, and film program back in the early 80s who said, everyone brings their own baggage to a movie. And he meant that in a good way, like you bring your life experience, your point of view, your feelings, and obviously subjective. Now, there are some movies that are objectively, I guess, bad on some level, and there are those, and I'm not going to name them. And again, that's even the objective view that a movie is bad is still subjective. I think we've all watched movies that we feel are not good. And and I do want to set out that working with so many different producers on so many different films, no one that I know of has ever set out to make a bad movie. Dude, you're reading my mind because I have filmmakers in my family and you still have to get up at 5 a.m. to be on set 
You still have to work 12 hours a day, no matter what the movie, whether it's uh, low budget, big budget. It is a very difficult thing to produce. Actually, the physical production of a movie, whether the film ends up bombing, becoming a hit, winning an Academy Award or a Razzie, there's still this same basic amount of work that goes into it, which ultimately means comes down to the script and the acting, but the physical work that goes into this and the love and the passion the filmmakers have is incredible. That's the nature of the beast. When you went to go and start a project and somebody somewhere said yes, there was a hook. There was something somebody said, this is a story that needs to be told and people will come out and buy a ticket for it. Like somewhere along the line, somebody said that. Now, whether that gets lost in the translation of making the movie or whatever, you know, the execution, that's a whole different story. But Nobody sets out to make a bad movie. That's right. For the pundits on the side to take shots at these, and again, sometimes in a way that I find to be a little disingenuous, yeah, you know, yeah. so to speak, I think it's wrong. And, you know, going back to Flash, they felt they had a good movie. I think they got ahead of themselves a little bit. Ultimately, they do have a good movie. People enjoy the film. Long term, it'll probably be a nice little gem in the DC library. And I predict big numbers for it on home video because there'll be a lot of people who heard about the movie, decided, well, I'm going to sit it out in the theater, but hey, I'm super interested in this film. Let's give it another shot once it hits the small screen. It's a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So last week, you get the media and you get you know these voices that are out there basically saying, what a disaster. This thing tanked. It was this. It was that. To your point, Paul, it turns people off. And anybody who was sitting there going, I think I'm going to go see The Flash is now like, yeah, maybe I won't. That's where I think, not the marketing message, the message while the movie is in the middle of its opening weekend is so key. Because nobody gets FOMO, fear of missing out, for those of you following along at home, nobody gets FOMO for a bad movie or a movie that is tanking, yet some of those movies are great films and people discover them later on home video. And Going back to your point, Mike, nobody sets out to make a bad movie, just like nobody sets out to make a bad meal. If you're a chef, so the director in the kitchen, and you have all these ingredients, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but sometimes they surprise you down the road. You talk about surprises, and we've got one that caught me by surprise when you look at the cube right now, and that is Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Paul, do you know what the cum on that movie is right now? It's three, what is it? It's $123 million. It's the quietest 123, I think, that I've seen in a long time. That movie is going to top out at over 150, it looks like. Well, you know, I'm going to take a look right now at the international. Now, generally, these films, the Transformers films, earn the majority of their box office outside of the U.S. and Canada. And I'm going to look at the numbers here. So in the U.S. alone, 38% of the box office for Transformers Rise of the Beast, according to our Comscore data, 24% of that worldwide market share coming from China. And you're right, Mike, the domestic gross, what did you, it, it said uh, $123.1 million. Yeah, I mean, it's a quiet 123, don't you think? Oh, you know, it just made $100 million, no big deal. And by the way, right. it's at $341.4 million worldwide for Transformers Rise of the Beast for a franchise that's been around for, I don't know, it feels like decades and is morphed into a different style of movie, a different point of view. And Fast X got kind of a bad rap because it went kind of early to PVOD. But still, these movies are performing in the hundreds of millions of dollars. But again, you have to also look at their profitability because, again, these are not inexpensive movies to make. 
But that's kind of insight, right, that you get here on Ticket to Ride. Well, and then the last movie I think we should touch upon this weekend is the Wes Anderson film that went... Yeah, Asteroid City. Expanded this weekend, and that was coming off of 142 thousand dollar per screen average last weekend which was the biggest per screen since la la land in 2016 that was unreal that's unreal those are huge numbers wes anderson in our post-track data is one of the directors who are at the top of the list of why people normally in the post-track audience survey it says why did you come to see this movie nine times out of ten it's part of a franchise i like rarely is it because of the director Wes Anderson does that, Quentin Tarantino, Spielberg. There's some other directors for whom they are the star, especially with these ensemble casts. I think that's a great one. And the independent film is back, Mike. I think people counted it out. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at, it was a $9 million gross on in 1,675 locations. So they did $5,400 per screen, the largest per screen average on the charts this weekend. Yeah. To your point, Paul, a good story on independent film and Past Lives continues to do well. Oh, Past Lives doing great too. Again, we're seeing a heartbeat in that indie sector that has struggled a little bit more to come back than the mainstream sector. The last thing I did want to touch on, though, Paul, and you brought this up in the data that we shared over the weekend, and that was while 2023... We're about uh, 10 films ahead of where we were last year in the number of films, wide releases being released. We're still trailing 2019 by, what is it, 10 films, something like that. Yeah. So that shows you, and again, it's all about the amount of content that's out in the marketplace. And we need to close that gap. We've talked about that. And we're getting there. And I think we're still on track, Paul. Somebody asked me last week, what do you think this summer is going to be? And I said, uh, I think it's going to be about $4 billion. There you go, Mike. If you will it, the numbers will come. Right now, we're about even with 2022, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. However, yeah. as you and I have discussed, August. Going, well, it's the <laughs> late, late July into August is yeah. where we're going to separate because there's just so many more titles. And real quick, before we wrap up, we've got Right on Deck, Indiana Jones, Indy 5, and the Dial of Destiny. And then we've got an incredible July with Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, and then Barbie Oppenheimer and more after that. So I think we're on track for a really exciting few weeks for movie theaters and a lot to talk about. And we should bring up, so The Flash is a good lesson, though, as we come up on Mission Impossible. And that is, we're going to start to hear five-day estimates that are going to be ridiculous. Right. And a lot of people are going to base it on how Top Gun played last year, not looking at these Mission Impossible movies. We went back and looked this morning. The last yes. two, I think, did for the three-day. The last one did 60. The one before that did 55. They've never opened to over 100 million. Really important to say that right now out loud, and that is let's put this in perspective. And again, guys, just like we're talking about with Elemental and that we look like with back with Avatar, that is, it is a marathon, not a sprint on some of these films. And the mission movies tend to play that way as well. You're right. And as Denzel Washington said in Training Day, this is chess. It ain't checkers. <laughs> well, Paul, I am off overseas for the next two weeks. We'll be in touch. We'll, we'll try and find a way to to do Ticket to Ride on an international basis. Yeah, I think we're going to try to do it from, I think we're going to be in Italy next week. So we will hook up a time and try to do the first transcontinental uh, 
Like, I'm going to go to Olive Garden and call you from there. Oh, there you go. That All the breadsticks you can eat. There you go. All right, Mike. Well, thank you, man. Safe travels. And uh, I'll see you next time on Ticket to Ride, the Comscore podcast. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Paul. Thank you. Bye.